As was mentioned in our announcements, our young folks are arriving this afternoon and I do hope that um, everybody will take the advantage of the opportunity to be here tonight to hear our young brother Jacob preach to us. Also, to stay afterward for time of fellowship and... Um, be prepared for that. I don't know if we'll need a few sandwiches and chips or whatever, or if there'll be enough dessert, but just kind of keep stock of that. And if you plan to come tonight, uh, that would be wonderful. That'll give everybody a chance to meet these young folks. It's my, uh, somebody said earlier this week that it would be nice for those that, that have to work every day if they had the opportunity to meet some of these young folks and have a little time with them. And that's why we moved fellowship dinner today, but then that didn't work out. But at any rate, <clears throat> today is indeed it. Uh, they are arriving. The police department has been notified. It doesn't sound right, does it? Uh, the police department has been notified that we are going to be out in the area knocking doors, and that's all taken care of. And so, once again, we are grateful for that. However, I want to go back to something that I've been talking about for the last few weeks, or at least mentioning, and that is this. I want for us to continue our individual evangelistic efforts as well and hopefully we will have opportunities to teach people besides those that send in the surveys or that we get the surveys back that they want a Bible study. However, whether it comes through the surveys or from our individual and personal efforts, I want to be the first to say, I won't be the first but I'll be the first this morning from up here anyway, to say that it can be incredibly scary it can be frightening. It can be overwhelming. It can be terrifying, even. If you have never sat down and taught somebody in an in-home Bible study, it can be a very overwhelming thing, the very thought of it. People have said to me, well, what will I say? What, what would I say? What if they ask me a question I can't answer? And these, these are intimidating things that people ask who've never taught an in-home Bible study. What if? What do? What about? Uh, those can be some of the scariest questions asked, again, if somebody has never before sat down and sought to have an in-home Bible study and taught the gospel and first principles to those lost in sin. And so, for a while now, I've had this idea for this morning's sermon in mind, but... I want us to understand this morning as I preach this lesson, it's not just about that, although it is meant to help address that situation that I just outlined, but it's also more than that. You know, a lot of us are facing challenging times in our lives. We're facing struggles. We don't know how they're going to work out. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know a lot of things. And some of us are, are in a situation where... Wow, it just, how's this all, how's this all going to work? You know, I'm, I'm in quite a rough spot here and I'm not sure how this is all going to go. And there's a lot of uncertainty. So, this morning, this morning's sermon revolves around the promise of God. The promise of God to be with His faithful people so that they need not fear. Ever. Doesn't matter if you're sitting down to study with somebody for the first time, you don't need to fear. Doesn't matter if there's a terrible situation in your life, you don't need to fear. God's divine promises. And I want to strengthen you and encourage you this morning, if you're one of those people in either of those situations, or even either one of those applications, 
You don't need to fear, no matter the test, no matter the trial, no matter the tribulation, no matter the trouble. And I really want to show you that from the scriptures this morning. I don't want you to take my word for it. So I'm asking that first off, you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the 26th chapter. I want you to see many cases today when God says, I will be with you. That you don't need to fear. In Genesis chapter 26, we have the story of Isaac. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land. Now watch this promise. And I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. If there is a famine in the land, especially the famines in those days, you worried about how you were going to feed your family. Worrying about how you're going to feed your family is a big deal. And it concerns you. And it concerned him. But notice the promise in verse 3. God said, I will be with you and bless you. In verses 6 through 11, God turns his fear into a blessing. And then finally we pick up in verse 12. It says that Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. What does that mean? God said, I'll be with you. I'm going to bless you. Remember, there was a famine. There was this bad situation. And as I said, in verses 6 through 12, he's, he's got some fear. But God, God bestows a blessing, blessing on him there. And nobody's going to touch him or his wife. And so he sows in this land. And he reaps a hundredfold. God kept his word. And the Lord blessed him. The man, verse 13, began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very promise, prosperous. God keeps his promises, people. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines, verse 15, had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they'd filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Isaac departed from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac, now watch this, Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. They'd filled them with dirt. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well. They quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. I want you not to miss what's going on here. 
Especially as it relates to our seeking to go out this week and get Bible studies with people. Especially as it applies to that. I want us to see here that what is going on is that he's going back to the things of old. He's going back to try to do something. He's going back. And as he goes back to these wells that his father had past generations and he goes to do this again. There's, there's a quarrel or a battle that breaks out as it were. He meets a lot of opposition. He's fought at every turn. But what did he do? He kept on laboring. When they filled up one, or they quarreled over that, rather, what did he do? Go to the next one. He kept on laboring. And that's sort of like us with, with door knocking and teaching people. Folks, when God says go and I will be with you, we need to understand God's going to be with us. Because God keeps his promise all the time. God is faithful. But sometimes we're going to meet opposition and it's going to require that we keep on laboring, that we keep on fighting through. This was not easy for him, but he kept on going and he kept on trying. And eventually, after all that labor, in verse 22, he's going to, I'm, yeah, verse 22, he finds success. It says that he moved from there, dug another well. I mean, he's been at this. He's kept trying it. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What would have happened if he'd given up after the first well? No water. What would have happened if he'd given up after the second well? No water. What happens the first time you try an evangelistic effort and it fails? You quit. Try it again. What happens if it doesn't work? You quit. Try it again. You keep on going. This is what he did because God said, I will be with you and I will bless you. And he believed that, so he kept on despite the labor and despite the struggle. And so the Lord comes to him again and blesses him with the same promise because he kept trying. He wasn't willing to just give up because of a little opposition. Look in verse 24. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And God did. You can go home and read the rest of the chapter. God kept his promise. <clears throat> Isaac's son, Jacob, later went out from Beersheba. And look at the promise God made to him in Genesis 28. 28 of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. Look at the promise that God makes. Very similar promise as he made to Jacob's dad Isaac, he now makes to Jacob. Genesis 28, 12. Then he dreamed, that is Jacob. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you isn't God awesome God said I'm going to be with you I'm going to this is what's going to happen and I will not leave you I will not forsake you I will bless you I will take care of you 
Well, we know the story of Jacob. Jacob's life continues on and he goes through a lot of trials and tribulations and despite all those years of service to deceptive Laban, eventually Jacob's father-in-law Laban becomes hostile in his intentions towards Jacob because God had blessed Jacob largely at Laban's expense. We read that in the next few chapters. But eventually, once Jacob has grown wealthy, God again reiterates to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31 and verse 3, says, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. And God was. As we know, Jacob was later named Israel by God and told that a nation and a company of nations as well as kings would come from him. Genesis 35, 9 through 12. And guess what happened? This is not difficult. We're going to see a very well-established pattern here. Guess what happened? God kept his word. Jacob became the nation Israel, God's Old Testament people. Well, finally, after, throughout his life, and after all of those troubles that he suffered, for instance, after his fear, and this doesn't mean that, that Jacob didn't have fear. He had fear in his life. Read, read the next few chapters of Genesis. After all of the fear over meeting with his brother Esau, whom he had earlier betrayed, you'll recall that story. He was in fear about what Esau was going to do to him. After fear over that meeting with his brother Esau, whom he'd earlier betrayed, plus all the other twists and turns and travels and tribulations in his life, it says in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. God kept his word Exactly. When God says, I will be with you, as he did in Genesis 28, he will. No matter what you may have to face, God says, I will be with you, he will. God says, I will not leave you nor forsake you, he won't. No matter what you have to go through in the process. As we continue on in Genesis, we read from Genesis chapter 37 all the way up to chapter 50. The story of Jacob's youngest and dearest son, Joseph. We know the story of Joseph very, very well. And we look at the very end of that story in Genesis 50 and look at what we see. Verses 24 and 5 at the end of Genesis 50. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Remember, he was in Egypt. Bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What's Joseph saying? Joseph is saying, look, I know that God is faithful. I know that God will keep his word. I know that God is going to take us out of Egypt and he's going to take us back to that land just as he promised our fathers he was going to do. He, Joseph said he's going to do that. Then verse 25 of Genesis 50, Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. What's he saying? 
He said, I know God's going to visit you. I know God's going to keep his word. I know God's going to keep his promise. And when he takes you back to that land, take my bones with you. Promise me that when God comes through, because I know God's going to come through. God's going to do exactly what he said. And I know that. So by faith, I'm asking you right now that when you go back to that land, take my bones with you. God does not fail when God says, I will go with you. I will be with you. I will not leave you in that situation. God means every word he said. Beginning in Exodus, we have the story of Moses. We all know the story of Moses and how he led the Israelites up out of Egypt. We, we know the story. We get down towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Or as we go through the books, the, the Pentateuch, we find out that God was trying to give them the land that he had promised. He was trying to give the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the land that he had promised. But they weren't willing to take God at his word and go forth. They sent the spies in, the spies come back, spies said, we can't do this. We can't do what God told us to do. What did Joshua and Caleb say? God will be with us. God said he'd give it to us. What are, let's just go claim the promise of God. But they didn't. They paid the price. They aged in the wilderness. We get up near the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy 31 with me, will you please? And despite all those wilderness wanderings, despite all that happened during that time, you know what Moses' message was to the people in Deuteronomy? Despite all the trials and everything they'd gone through, you know what, you know what his message was? Let's read it. Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 8. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Now I want you to stop right there. I want you not to miss that sentence. Moses had gone through all these trials and tribulations. He'd led the people out. He'd gone through all these battles. He'd done all this stuff. But he wasn't going into the promised land, that for which he'd been working for the last 40 or so years anyway, right? Now, a lot of us, when God doesn't give us the thing that we've been aiming for, when God doesn't just give us on a silver platter that which we've been working toward, that which we think that, that we want as much as anything, you know, it's real easy to sit back and get angry and frustrated and point our finger at God. Moses didn't do that. Moses was not going into the promised land. He says right here, I know I'm not. God's told me I'm not. And it's been real easy for him to say, and, you know, just find fault with God. But what does he say? Here's what he says. He says in the latter part of verse 2, The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, in their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. No sour grapes from Moses. No anger, no bitterness. In fact, he said, you know what he said next? In that situation where he didn't get to go into the promised land, you know what he said next? He told them how awesome God was. Told them how God keeps his word. Told them what, a, what an awesome, powerful God that they not only served, but how this God would go with them. Look at the next few verses. 
Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he's the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong, he tells young Joshua. Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord said, He's the one who goes before you. He will be with you. Did they have anything to fear? Did they? God was going with them. They did not need to fear. Moses told them. Moses wanted, he tells them, then he tells Joshua, he will be with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Don't get all worked up. Don't get all stressed out. God is going with you. God has promised you. God's not going to leave you. Yes, you're going to have a few battles to fight. Yes, it's going to be difficult. But God said he'd go with you. Don't, don't get all worked up and into this fear frenzy and panic-stricken state. Don't let your blood pressure get high. Calm down and understand God's going with you. Get your blood pressure up like mine is. And as if that's not enough, flip forward just a few pages to Joshua chapter 1. As if Moses telling him wasn't enough, now God's going to just tell him again. Sometimes God has to tell us something several times for us to really get it. It doesn't make it any more valid. God only has to say it once, but sometimes we're a little dull of hearing. Sometimes it doesn't sink in. So God, knowing that, has to tell us not only once, but maybe once or twice. So what does he do? Look what he tells Joshua in Joshua 1. Starting at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. As if Moses' word just didn't sink all the way in, God said, okay, I, I'm going to reinforce this. I, I want to make this really clear to him. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, Joshua. I will not forsake you, Joshua. Therefore, verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God, what's God doing here? He's keeping his word. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just like we read, their descendants would have this land. God is not going to settle for anything less than absolutely keeping his promise. So he says to Joshua, don't be afraid. I'm going with you. This is my promise. You're going to carry it out. I just need you to go forward. I need you to do this. I'm going right with you. You don't need to worry about a thing. I'm going with you. We're in this thing together. Therefore, verse 7, be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? God's telling him again, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Look. This is a promise to the faithful, and God makes it very clear to Joshua, you've got to stay in the book. You've got to stay in the book. You want this to work, you want to prosper for God, you want to carry out God, what God, you've got to stay within the word of God. But if you do that, you don't have to worry. I'll go with you every step of the way, God says. Do we understand that? Do we really understand that if we're walking with God, God walks with us every step of the way? Do we get that? When God says, I'm going with you. How'd that all work out? And, and I want us to think about, for a minute, what Joshua was up against. We know the end of the story. We can read through the end of Joshua. But Joshua didn't have the end of the story. It wasn't like Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. Okay, He didn't have the end of the story. What he's going on right here is just like you and me going out of this building today. We don't know what's going to happen 30 years down the road. When Joshua heard these words from God, he didn't know how this was all going down. He's just like you and me. Think about what Joshua was up against. Joshua, number one, was taking over for a 40-year-long leader. You know, if you have a preacher that's in a given congregation for 40 years and the new guy comes in, it ain't easy. That's what's happening here. Moses has been leading these people for 40 years. Taking them through the Red Sea, done all the miracles, got them out of Egypt, done all this stuff, kept them fed, put up with their grumbling and their griping and complaining. Moses has laid it on the line. Moses has spent 40 years as a preacher, preacher of these people, if I can put it in those terms. And now the new kid on the block showing up, right? This is not an easy task. How would you like to take over if somebody been in a position 40 years? Leading God's people. Don't, don't miss that. Don't also miss this fact. Joshua was trying to take, listen church, please. Joshua was going to have to take an obstinate and rebellious people where they had never been before. He was going to have to accomplish something that his fathers or the previous generation had failed miserably at. Don't miss that against foes who were probably bigger and stronger and more numerous than they were 40 years prior to that. You know, sometimes today we say, well, you know, we've tried that avenue of outreach, it didn't work, or we've tried to do this before and it don't work, and we've tried this and it don't work. Joshua was trying to take these people in where the previous generation had utterly failed to go. They had failed miserably. Under Moses, the 40-year preacher, and now Joshua, he's got to take them and give them victory where the previous generation failed. I see all kinds of parallels, don't you? How did that all work? Turn to me to the very end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 23. Let's see if God kept his promise. That's a joke. We know he did, but turn there anyway. Joshua 23, verse 14. Joshua, at the end of his life, after all those conquests, says this. He says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all 
all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And don't miss the faithfulness of God in Joshua chapter 24 in verse 32 which says the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor the father of Shechem for 100 pieces of silver and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph you know what that verse right there says so God kept every word he'd said to the previous generations. God said, I'll be with you, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you back here. Joseph said, hey, I know God's going to do this. You make sure you take my bones. They did. They brought them back, and guess what? God kept every word. Not one word of God's promise. And God says, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to do what I said I would do. You know, God made... And kept as completely and powerfully as only God can that same exact promise to be with and to strengthen and to deliver all of those who would trust and obey him by going and doing what he commanded to many great Bible leaders. He made the same promise that he would be with and strengthen Gideon and do what he said he would in Judges 6 verse 16. He made the promise to King Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 20. He made the promise to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15 in verse 20. Over and over and over again in stories that we could put into a second sermon if I was preaching tonight the same promise God said I'll be with you I'm not going to leave you I'm going to take care of you I'll take you through this all you got to do is go forward and do what I've asked you to do, and I'm going to go every step with you. And in every one of those cases, God did. Over a thousand years, a thousand years, after God renamed Jacob Israel, God was still reminding and reinforcing and strengthening the descendants of Jacob. You see, Jacob's descendants, over a millennia later were facing this terrible, hostile captivity. And you know what God's telling them a thousand years removed? You know what God's telling them as they're facing captivity? Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I will take care of you. I will take care of this situation. I will strengthen you. I'm going to be right there with you. Don't you worry about a thing. God is so awesome. Turn with me. Let's prove that. In Isaiah 41, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 41, beginning at verse 8. the prophet Isaiah. God says this to the descendants of Jacob. Isaiah 41.8. Behold, you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not. For I am with you, 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you, they'll be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You'll seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. God says, you ain't got to worry about this. It's those people that contend with you and war against you. They're going to disappear. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. You don't have to worry about this. Trust me, I got this, God says. Again in Isaiah 43, if you would turn there. One more time in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, watch this. Mark this, highlight it. Understand that this is the cool part of this. Understand that if he would do that for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the sake of Abraham in the Old Testament, how much more will he do for those who are children of his through the blood of his only begotten son in the New Testament? If God said, I will be with you, to them. And a thousand years later, he's still saying, you don't have to worry. I'm with you every step of the way for the sake of Abraham. How much more does he say to New Testament Christians? I am with you, my children. If God so loved us, Romans 5, 6 through 11, that he was willing to die for us when we were enemies, how much more so now that we have been reconciled to God through the death of his son, will he be with us? But look what he says even to them in the Old Testament in Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You're mine. God says, You are mine. You are my people. What does God say under the new covenant? You are my sons and daughters. You're my kids, my family, Romans 8. You're not just my people. You're my children, Romans 8. But to those who were his people, he said, I have called you by my name. What are we called today, people? We are Christians. We are called by the name of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. That takes everything we're reading from the Old Testament up so many levels, I can't count them. But he said even to them, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember how they kept God's word, and they did what God said, and they didn't bow down to the idol of gold, and they went down there, and they're thrown in the fire seven times hotter. It's so hot that when the soldiers get them to the top of this thing to throw them in, they die, and they don't even smell like smoke. What did King Nebuchadnezzar say? Didn't we cast three men into the fire? Behold, I see a fourth man down there, like a son of the gods. Did God go through the fire with them? Yes. Has God changed? No. Will God walk through the fire with his children today? If he says, you go and do this, I will be with you. Does he mean it? Read the rest of this. Verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba in your place, since you were precious 
in my sight? Are your children precious to you? God's children are precious in his sight. You have been honored and I have loved you. How much does God love us? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. He says to them then, fear not, I'm with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, gather you from the west. You'll say to the north, give them up to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made it. Do we understand when God says, you just stay faithful and you go where I've told you to go and you do what I've told you to do and I'll go with you, I'll take care of it. Do we understand that? For those of you afraid, maybe, or overwhelmed to teach others, please turn with me to Matthew 28. For those of you facing other trials, apply these words, but specifically for those who might think, I can't do this, it's just too hard. You know, sort of like, they're too big for us, we're like grasshoppers in our sight. You know, same sort of reasoning. I want you to understand today, I want you to really understand that if you will be faithful to God, and if you will go and do what God said, God will go with you every step of the way. It's not about you, it's about Him. You're going to make mistakes studying with people. Okay. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing much. In, in Matthew 28, look what it says, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw them, they worshipped, but some doubted. It's another whole sermon, but how could they doubt? They'd seen him crucified. Anyway, moving on. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there. I've got all authority, and this is what I'm commanding you to do. There is no other authority. I'm it. And what I'm telling you by that authority, by the authority vested in me by the Father, as it were, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, when God says, go make disciples, you baptize them and you teach them. You go and you teach them. We always focus on the baptism part and that's fine. We need to focus more on the teaching part because we teach them after they're baptized or else they just got wet, it may be, or at least they don't grow. I mean, you have a new baby, you feed it, right? But don't miss that next part. If you'll go and do this, if you'll go and do what I told you to, lo, I will be with you every step of the way, even to the end of the world, even to the end of the age. I will not let you go into this Bible study alone. If you're going to do what I asked you to, you will not go into this alone. I will go with you even to the end of the age. I'm not going to desert you and leave you in there on your own. Are you kidding me? I'll go with you, God says. Tell you what, you study God's Word, you get your study ready, you've got your Bible in your hand, and you go in there to study with somebody, you're not alone. God says, I'll go with you. Well, we know what happened to the apostles. They went on from there and they did some of that. I want to take you to one final passage before we close this morning, and that's Acts chapter 18. I want to show you how hostile the crowds got in the first century in one place here. I want to show you what they were up against, but you know what? 
In Acts chapter 18, God made the Apostle Paul a promise. It didn't matter how tough the going got or how much opposition he faced or how difficult it was. God had a promise for Paul. You know what it was? You ought to be able to figure it out by this point in the sermon. I'll go with you. I'm right there with you. You haven't got to fear. You haven't got to worry. Watch this. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Did Paul accomplish anything in Corinth? Don't we have like a couple of epistles to a church that was established there? Yeah, we do. So he goes to Corinth. Look at what happens in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, there's going to be opposition when you teach the gospel. Yup. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. In my Bible, I've got that highlighted, whose house was next door to the synagogue. There's such a, an uprising in the synagogue because these people don't want to believe what God said that Paul says, That's it. I'm out of here. What does he do? He goes right next door. That would be like, you know, somebody getting tossed. It would be like me getting tossed out of this building, right, for teaching the truth, and going next door to CSC and teaching there like six, seven days a week to a crowd that wanted to hear it. Right next door. I mean, people coming and going. The house is right next door to the synagogue. There were hostels in the next building. Yeah, Paul had opposition. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. So now you got the ruler of the synagogue next door where they tossed him out of. you got this guy that's believing. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. What if Paul had said, you know what? I'm done. They don't want me here. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is, this is crazy. What if Paul had said that? No Crispus? No family? No Corinthian church? Yeah, there's going to be opposition. Look what God says to Paul. Verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. That's highlighted in my Bible too, and it needs to be in all of our Bibles. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Here it comes. Here, here comes the big finishing line here for this sermon. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. God said, I'm going to be right there every step of the way. You keep right on teaching. Don't you shut up. Don't you stop preaching. I don't care what the opposition is. You keep her. I'm going every step of the way with you. Well, if we were to read the next few verses, we would find out that there was a lot of opposition in the city. There was kind of a riot goes on and all kinds of stuff. And there's some physical violence done, but not to Paul. And it says in verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. I don't know if it's because you are intimidated by teaching because you've never taught before. I don't know if there's something going on in your life to do with doctors or jobs or relationships. But I want you not to leave this building this morning without understanding something. If you will do it God's way. If you will do what God said to do and trust him on faith in whatever it is, whatever it is, take the high road and do it God's way. God has a promise for you this morning. I'll go with you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You don't have to get all worked up and let your blood pressure get all knotted up. 
do not fear, do not be dismayed. I will go with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Just go do what I asked you to do. And I'll go with you. I'll go in front of you. I'll go behind you. I'll go with you. I'll go all around. We'll do this together, okay? God never failed once when he made that promise to anybody in the scriptures. Never once did he just say, Ha! April Fool's joke. You're on your own. God doesn't operate that way. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This morning, if you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you're somebody who has done that, but there's just something going on in your life that you've been worried about. I want you to understand, number one, you do it God's way and God's not left you and He's not going to. But if you need the prayers of the church for any reason that relates to anything we've said, or again, to be baptized into Christ, would you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing?